little touch pass there. Benson waiting, cuts in, he scores! Oh my! Into the middle, holding, back, Toporowski shooting, shot block, got it back, shot, score! Center of pass forward, of stop, shot, back to play, score! In front, Groove scores! Jaden Groove scores the triple overtime winner. Welcome into WHL Unfiltered. Um, pleased to be joined by my co-host Sean Mullen of Swift Current and also by Craig Button, uh, TSN's Director of Scouting, coming to us from uh, Calgary. How's... Uh, How's everything been going for you, Craig? Well, everything's been good, Chad. You know, we we get moving along with the World Junior and, you know, the pre-tourney, and then you just get rolling. And then you, the tournament ends, and then you're kind of, okay, now what? Because it's so busy, and it's exciting, don't get me wrong. And now you kind of, okay, what's next? And then all of a sudden, you, you find yourself on January 10th, and you're going, wait a second, we're near halfway through the, gen, the month of January. So really what's, you know, obviously dialing into the NHL and everything that goes with that. But really now the big thing is, is the prospects game coming up in uh, Vancouver on January 25th to see all these uh, real good prospects, some of them that played in the World Junior Tournament, and really being able to, uh, uh, you know, take it from there into the last part of the season. And obviously we've seen a lot of trades uh, across the country in the different leagues and everybody trying to jockey to get position and to improve their teams. Well, and I, I think today, it being the trade deadline out here and across the country, I feel like we're seeing more players sent back from pro this year than we've seen in a number of years. We we saw the Shane Wright deal, of course. Dylan Gunther's rights just got traded. A couple of guys come back from the Manitoba Moose. Are you surprised with how much of this we're seeing? And... You know, why aren't teams making this decision way earlier and impacting the contracts the way they are? Yeah, that's probably a really good question, Sean, you know, with respect to, uh, you know, why, why doesn't it happen earlier? I, I, I think teams, you know, Shane Wright's the fourth overall pick. You have first-round picks and Brad Lambert and Chad Lucius, you know, that has Lucius that they can, you know, keep under their thumb, so to speak, in, in Manitoba. But, you know, like, uh, d development you know, to me, requires players to be in places where not only can they improve their game, but they can get that sense of, like, I'm, I'm going to own this. The, the, I'm going to own this, my play. I'm going to become a dominant player at that level. It's it's hard. I mean, Brad Lambert hasn't been a dominant player at any level, and now you're asking him to, to try to develop his game at, at, at another higher level. Same, same with Chaz Lucius, who's had some injuries. So I, I think both those players going to uh, Seattle and Portland respectively, Shane Wright going back to the OHL, they clearly showed, all three of them in my view, that they weren't ready for pro hockey. So get them back into a place where they can work on their game and, and, and become players because what you want Chaz Lucius to be is an offensive player. What you want Brad Lambert to be is an offensive player. What you want Shane Wright to be is that complete you know, uh, you know, two-way player. 
and and when you're not getting an opportunity to do it at the levels above you, you know, get back to a level that you you, you can really master. You know, whether Dylan Gunther comes back or or, or not will be what remains to be seen. Watching him in the NHL, I I think he's held his own. I I I think that Dylan's been been a, been a real good solid player. Uh, you know, with the Arizona Coyotes, you know they got time to send him back, and I, th- I think the Arizona Coyotes, uh, if they deem it in the best interests of Dylan Gunther, they'll send him back. But right now, you you still got a little bit more time. But with the other three players, I don't think there was any question they need to go back. I know this: it's hard to play in the NHL, you know, at 18 years of age or 19 years of age, and unless you show unequivocally, I think unequivocally, early on in, in, in a season that you're capable of doing that. And people say, well, we'll send them to the American League. I think in a lot of cases, 18, 19-year-old players playing in the American Hockey League is harder than playing in the National Hockey League at that age because it, it, there's a little less structure. The dynamics of the league are a little bit different with age groups. Players fighting to get to the NHL. Players maybe feeling like they're on their last chance to get to the NHL, younger players fighting for ice time and finding their way in the lineup. So I think that that becomes even more challenging for a young player in a lot of cases than playing in the NHL. I like them to be with their peer group and, and develop and dominate. I, I think that those are the those are the things that help players uh, ultimately become really good contributors for their NHL team. Well, when I look at the American Hockey League too, and I, I may be off, I'm sure you watch more of it than I get to. We don't have a lot of access to it here. But numbers are are not high there. It doesn't feel like there's a lot of you know a lot of room for offense offense there. There's a lot of people, as you say, fighting for jobs. It seems like it's tougher to get that scoring touch developed in pro in the AHL these days more than it's ever been. Well, you know what? I do see a lot of American League games, and I'll tell you what: there's not a lot of skill down there. <laughs> so that's why there's not a lot of offense. And so you're going to send down players that you want to develop their skill game. There's not a lot of skill around them. I, I mean, it, it was interesting because I saw Shane Wright play his first two games in the American Hockey League uh, against the Calgary Wranglers. And, of course, there was a lot of interest. Some some uh, media from around the area were coming in to watch Shane Wright, and they're kind of going, well, geez, you know, like, uh, you know, this is, this is pretty good. I said, well, why is it good for him? I mean, it's good for him to just kind of get playing. But Shane Wright... You know, goes there and and you you know developing your game, moving the puck, getting the puck back, playing at a high tempo, playing you know with that high skill, the creativity and imagination. If they could do it, if they could do it, if they they wouldn't be there, they'd be in the NHL. So there's not a lot of skill in the American Hockey League, and you know there's lots of teams and players work hard and they dig in, and you know there a lot of times you know the younger players, the offensive players. Are, are trying to find their way, and they're still young and developing. So now you're going to put another young player trying to find his way in that league without a lot of skill around them. Yep, I don't, I, I don't see it. And you know, I, I understand that teams would like the opportunity to, to to have players under their domain for development. But there's a lot of different aspects of development. It's not always just being under the domain of the team and close by geographically. Well, I mean, you you know, we talked about Brad Lambert a little bit and how, yeah, he's he struggled at the AHL level, didn't have a very good World Juniors, but you know, it seems like you know coming to Seattle about us to be the, the the best thing you could do for a player like that. I mean, they're expected to make a playoff run. They're a good team, you know, play against players his own age. I mean, that should 
you know, if that doesn't fix them, then then I don't I don't know what's going to right. Yeah, and, and and you know, when you think about it, so you talk about him, you know, in the Manitoba Moose, you know, you know, not finding his offensive game. He he hasn't he hasn't been able to develop his offensive game for the last two seasons. I mean, you're a young player, you get pushed up to the SM League, the Pro League in Finland, for two consecutive years. That's hard to play for a 17 and 18 year old kid. So if you start to rewind and start to look where his offense, you know, and, and developing that part of his game. It, it's been absent for the most part for two and a half seasons. And uh, unless you don't want him to be an offensive player, and I can't imagine the, the, the Winnipeg Jets don't want him to be an offensive player, get him back. Get him back to a place where he, he, he can play and he, and, and, he, and he can, you know, get those puck touches and he can get with good players. I mean, they got some good centermen with the Seattle Thunderbirds. And, you know, it's a good team. It's a team that has their sights set on a Western Hockey League championship. And, more than, they're more than capable of doing that, and there's skill around them, and the, and there's skill that, quite frankly, there's more skill around him in, in in Seattle than there is in Manitoba, which which is only going to help him as well as who he's playing against. It's it, 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 there's just to me, it's one plus one plus one. It just keeps adding up to the best thing for Brad Lambert, and I really think that that'll be a positive for him. And I, I know that that's what the Jets want for him, but you know. You, you you consider and you rewind. You don't want that to start bleeding into year four because then he's not going to find his offense. He just simply isn't. Uh, Craig, you touch on the AHL there, and it's not something I'd considered. Um, but there's more places for players who are just outside the NHL to go now than there ever have been. Europe's paying well. The KHL, although everything going on in Russia makes that complicated. But as a result, there's less skill in the AHL than there's been. Are there too many teams? I know every team wants to control their own, but for the sake of skill development, would it maybe be better to cut the league down so there's more skill playing with skill? Well, in, in, in theory, yes, you, you, you would like that. But it's hard to ask uh, people that have made you know financial investments, capital investments in teams, and just say, okay, we'll give up our team. And, and I understand that. And... You know, one of the things, and you touched on it, is the economics. So, so what ends up happening? The good players get offered more money to go play in Switzerland or Germany or Sweden or Finland. You know, the KHL right now, you know, there's still a number of North American players that would be playing in the American hockey. So, these other leagues that are that that, that are trying to add skill and 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 add, uh, you, you know, an element to, to to raise their level of 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 play throughout the league. You know, so they're vying for players. So, I mean, a simple way to, to do that would just pay your players more. Well, there's an economic component to this too, and you know, how much can you pay? You know, can you can you compete with with the with the teams in Europe for for the top players? And the answer is no, you can't. So now you go to the next thing, which would be a lot more drastic. You know, do you want to share teams? I mean, the mo- most organizations, if not all of them, will tell you they don't want to share a team. They don't feel that that's the best interest. So now you're left with this conundrum, right, where players turn pro and they have no choice, and I, and I understand it. You draft young players, and, and you're thinking, like, okay, we'll put them in there, and, and we have control. When I say control, I'm talking about monitoring control and development control, and they're under your coaches. But but that, in a lot of cases, isn't helping them to develop because they're not they're not ready to play at that level yet. And, and I'm talking just from a strength and physical maturity point of view. 
So you you, you know the, the, the there's a theory there. There's a couple of theories there, but reality you know sometimes thumps the, uh, theory on the head, and and you try to make the best of something, and that's why you know again when I started off and I said that you know. The, the American Hockey League can be a lot more challenging for younger players at that age than, than it is to play in the National Hockey League. Get them back to junior. Get them back to junior. Get them back to their peer group. Get them back competing and playing with players uh, that that are that are of a similar ilk. And you look at the Seattle Thunderbirds. I mean, they're just one team I can look at with with the skill around them. And and and, and there's a lot of good skill in in, in Seattle. And. And, and there's Portland, and, and certainly in, in, in Kamloops as they try to push ahead, and certainly in Winnipeg and Red Deer and Saskatoon trying to make a push. Lots of lots of good teams that are that are trying to uh, you know be good you know be better this year that have a lot of talent, and I think that benefits young players. How much risk there? I mean, I understand what you're saying, but the other side of the equation is if there's not enough skill in the AHL and they can't afford the veterans. How much risk is there that the NHL is going to approach the CHL in the future and say, we need to get our 19-year-olds in the American League so there's more skill in that league? Yeah. Uh, Go ahead, sorry. Go ahead. Is that a risk in your mind? Do you think there, th- that, that, could, that could be an issue for the CHL moving forward? It sure could be. It absolutely could be, and it's something that's been discussed. You know, you, you know exemptions, you know, if you play three years in the CHL, or, you know, if you're a first-round draft pick. But, like... You know, so you know, like I mean, this is something that's been discussed, right? So, so all you're going to do is is push, you know, young kids to a level of play, right? That and and people say that you don't benefit. Oh, yeah, what else do they have to learn in junior? There's lots to learn in junior. There's lots to learn in junior that you can't even be measured. Just allowing a young person to develop, you know, and the, the off the ice, mature emotionally, mature mentally, mature physically, all those things. It's not just about, you know, going and playing and saying, oh, well, you know what, they're, they're, they're just going to pile up points. You know what, like, good good organizations, good teams, you know, are going to push players, and they're there to push them to be better. And just because uh, you're in the American Hockey League and you think that players can't uh, learn anything more from junior, I, I don't buy it. I've never bought it. And I, I, I said this thousands of times. I've seen a lot of players go too soon. I've never seen a player stay too long anywhere, ever. Yeah, I mean that is kind of the. It's it's a cliche because because it's true. Like a lot of them are. I mean, you know, you look at the, you know, Braden Shen or uh, you know Nito Niederreiter or Ryan Johansson guys that probably should have stayed as in junior as, as a nineteen and you know and, and stunted their development you know maybe potentially forever or, or in, in 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 two of those cases anyway i mean but so so yeah i mean i, I think most of our listeners are probably on the, on the same page craig as far as you know it's uh it's it's better to, to have more seasoning in junior well let me give you an example an, an example that you that you both uh both of you know very well curtis Lazar, born in 1995 was one of Canada's best offensive players in that age group. One of the best. One of the best. I mean, you watched him play, you know, U U fifteen. You watched him play U sixteen. You watched him play, you know, in the in the Western Hockey League Canada games. One of the best offensive players. Top pick in the Western Hockey League. Goes to the Edmonton Oil Kings. They work him in as a sixteen year old, seventeen year old. Just continues to develop. Continues to develop. Ended up being a first round draft pick. 
to the to the Ottawa Senators. Next year, scores 40-plus goals. The Edmonton Oil Kings win the uh, Memorial Cup. Oh, we got to have him. We're going to keep Curtis Cesar in, in Ottawa. Oh, he's too good for junior. Okay, so they keep him in Ottawa. What do they do? They make him a third, fourth-line winger. So that next year, at Christmas time, they go, well, let's send Curtis to the World Junior Team. He's the captain of the of the team in, in 2015 that wins the gold medal, plays really well, goes back, and uh, check again, be, be a third, fourth-line guy. So now in his tw- now he goes back. Instead of scoring 60 goals and building his offensive capability, now he's, he's in a role that they didn't draft him to be in, but oh no, he's too good. He's too good for junior. So now the next year, same thing. Now he's falling more and more into a third, fourth line winger. And then in his third year in the NHL, they go, we need to send him down to the minors so he can find his offensive game. NHL teams fail more players than players fail on their own. That's a case. There's one case, and I can give you dozens. Curtis Lazar was failed. Well, and. On another note, not just the skill development, just being around the players, you can see the 16-, 17-, 18-year-old guys, they're not generally the leaders. They're not generally the follow-me boys kind of guys. They generally, you know, they listen more. They're a little more immature still. And then when you meet the guys who are 19 and 20, there's a there's a different level to their maturity. They become the leaders. They become the guys that guide the young players. And... That's a huge lesson that those guys who are called up early miss out on, getting to lead, and then all of a sudden you're 18 or 19 in the NHL and you're the furthest thing from it. So you never have had the opportunity to guide somebody else before being ripped out and back into the, the rookie role. You're exactly right. And, you know, when I was in Dallas, we drafted Jason Botterill out of the University of Michigan. And so after his junior year, he was contemplating... You know, should, should I stay? Should I go? And, you know, they were coming off a national championship. They were a really, really good team. And, you know, and you know, we, we always said that if we wanted to buy a player out of college, we could have. We just offer them enough money that CBA was very different back then. But, but we weren't going to do that. Like, you know, here, here's, what, here's, here's where you'll be. I mean, he wasn't good enough to make our team in Dallas. But, you know, he went through it. But what, when it got down to it, when it, when it got right down to it, I said, I, I said to Jason, I said, you know, do, do you see, you, you have really good leadership capabilities. I said, do you see yourself being a, a leader and a captain in the NHL one day? He said, yeah. I said, okay. Do you see, is finishing your degree something that's really important? Oh, he was a smart kid. He went in there at 17 years of age. He goes, yeah. I said, well, we're sitting here today. You've never been a captain at the University of Michigan, and you think you want to be a captain at the NHL level, and you haven't finished your degree. So what's your rush? And he went back for his senior year. He was a captain. You know what? And and Jason had had, had, had he didn't have a career that he that we thought he'd have. He didn't have a career that he wanted to have. But you know those those experiences that he went back finishing his degree, being a captain, being a leader. He's been a GM in the National Hockey League. There's no way anybody can tell me that that didn't help him. You know, move into a leadership position in the front office. You know, and so again, you you, you make a great point and. You know, you, you you never find your way to have a voice. You know, if you haven't had that voice, you know, within your peer group, and that peer group can be your year older. You some guys are a little bit younger when they take it on, but if you don't have the voice in your peer group, how the hell are you going to do it when you get to the NHL with players that are five, eight, ten, twelve years older than you? It's not going to happen. You know, that was that's something I 
was thinking about a little, a little bit ago, Craig, that, you know, you mentioned your time in, in Dallas when, when you're with these NHL clubs, you know, and, and the, and the, the, the top seat there in, in Calgary, was there still kind of, was it these same, you know, push pull issues on what do we do with these really good 18s and 19s? Like, you know, was it a, was it a, you know, a struggle at that time that, you know, to try to pull them up and, and, and play them on cheaper deals or, you know, put them on the third line like we're talking about Lazar? I mean, was it was that an issue, a, a battle that, that you fought back in, in those days? Yeah, we, we never really had the battle in, in Dallas. Our teams were good. You know, we, we, we were patient. We didn't we didn't want to push players ahead. Mike Bonanno was the first first overall pick that went back to junior. So, so you know, you know, I was in Minnesota when that decision was made. And, you know, so so Mike went back to Prince Albert and lit it up. I mean, he ended up breaking his hand uh, halfway through the season. But he, he went back there, dominated, completely dominated, came and never looked back. Came, you know, played, uh, you know, in, in the NHL Hall of Fame, right? But, and you, you, we were never, we never felt in young players. We used to tell players before the draft when we were interviewing them, we'd go spend, we'd go spend time with them at the time. We'd tell them, Here's exactly what you can expect. We're going to work with you in the development camp. You're going to come to our training camp. You're not playing an exhibition game. You'll be with us for six or seven days, and then you're going back to junior. And just about every kid was like, okay. But then they, they, you know, we'd sit down with them, and and they get we we give them a return ticket when they came to camp, and they'd sit down and go. And then at the end, we'd sit down with them. Here's where we're at. Get them back to their team because our philosophy was. You need to be back with the team that you're going to be with, not joining them at different points. And the players always would say, yeah, when I got my return ticket, we kind of realized but I, I, they were still going to show us. And we said, yeah, th- we love that attitude, but, but you're not good enough, and we want to set you up to be good enough. Now, when I came to Calgary, it was a little bit different. Uh, you, you know, the team was, you know, struggling. They were, they, they were focused in on young guns and young players and trying to give hope to the – to the fans and everything that went with it. And, and, and that's not development either when you put them in there. I'll, I'll be straightforward with you. I failed Oleg Saprikin. So, like, it's easy for me to say that, you know what, uh, the Ottawa Senators failed Otto, uh, uh, Curtis Lazar. I failed Oleg Saprikin. Oleg Saprikin was a player that I really liked long before I got to Calgary. We brought him up here at 19. Oleg Saprikin going back to junior should have been the best thing. Oh, no, let's keep him. Yeah, it's good. You know, he's a first-round draft pick. You know, let's. Uh, it's good for the fans. And, I, and, and like, I, I was an idiot. I succumbed to it. But make no mistake about it. I, I'm not sitting here, like, uh, not evaluating myself because I failed him. He could have been a lot better player than he ever became. And, you know, you look at back what he did in junior, it was pretty impressive. And I didn't help him become the player he was capable of being. So, you know what, it was a little bit different. And, and, and you know what, as a manager and as a leader, you can't succumb to the pressures. you got to do what's right. I didn't do what was right. So all that being said, what percent chance is there we'll ever see Connor Bedard play another junior game next fall? Oh, I would say zero because <laughs> he, he, he's the rare case of a player that's just... I mean, he, from the day he started, and, and you, you guys have watched him, and so have all the fans, from the day he started in the Western Island, the day... He, you know, the expectations were already high for for Connor Bedard. He's exceeded them. He is shredded. He is shredded everywhere he's been, everywhere. The Western Hockey League, the U18, the World Junior. Like, you know, even last year at the U18, where he where, where the team wasn't very good, he was a dominant player for Team Canada. 
where there wasn't a lot around him. And I can only tell you this: when when you when when you're that dominant and and you've shown that you you know that's when you're too good. And certainly, uh, you know, I think there there are exceptions to the rule. I'm not saying you shouldn't be in the NHL. Connor McDavid stepped in at 18, you know. But at at, at the end of the day, it, it, the, the the good players that identify themselves as that good at that age, I I, I don't think they, they they give you any pause for doubt because because Connor Bedard is that dominant. Well, you're you know the the newest. Uh version of the Craigslist came out today and I would, you know, point everybody to TSN to, to, to read that kind of stuff, keep uh, keep Craig in business here, but you know, you, <laughs> you, you have a, a list of, of generational players there's not that many guys on it and you have Bedard here at the, at the bottom of that list Well, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what ended up happening, I, I want to be very careful with the generational tag because if you keep using it and keep using it, then you know you're going to uh, you're going to diminish it, and 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 you know I think that it's a it's a term that should you know speak for itself, and and, and really uh, you know when you when you explain it and and you put somebody even when you consider somebody for that category, you, you know there has to be like you, you know some overwhelming evidence. I was hesitant. I'll be straightforward with you. I was hesitant, and you know, but you keep watching, you keep looking at the evidence. And then you start to go, wait a second, I'm starting to straddle a line here. And I think it's when you start to straddle that line, is he or isn't he, that you can really dig in and go, okay, what do you need to do? And for me, it was when I'm watching the World Junior, and I keep talking about him doing something at this age, at his age, that hadn't been done in this tournament since Wayne Gretzky did it in nineteen in the 1978 World Junior Tournament. And... I said, how can I keep saying Wayne Gretzky? How can I keep talking about him in that regard? How can I keep seeing him just obliterate every piece of competition that he's, that he's faced and, and not do it? And, and ultimately, I said, well, I can't straddle the line anymore. He is a generational player. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Before we, before we did it on the, uh, the, the pregame of the gold medal match last Thursday, we, we were sitting on the set, and there was a whole bunch of people talking. Ah, is he is he quick enough, Craig? And uh, they're like, is he big enough? And you know, these little questions, these questions came up, and you know, and I turned to Bob McKenzie and I said, Bob, you watched Wayne Gretzky play in junior. What did they say about him when he was coming up? They said, not fast, not a great shot, a little small, will get eaten alive in pro hockey. Everybody just quietly went back to their places and we and so if, if you want to find and I, 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 I said it in the article if you want to find if you want to doubt Connor Bedard then you better doubt every other single player in this draft to a far greater extent and you know when when you not only are the best player by a mile at the World Junior Tournament but you, you obliterate record after record after record he continues to do it and in the Western Hockey League. He will continue to do it. I like, I like again. I, I, maybe, maybe I needed a little bit more evidence. I'm comfortable now saying he's a generational player. And what's interesting now is that I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting. Oh well, you know, Michael Miso. He, he, he'll be there. Uh, McKenna, the kid from, uh, from that was the first pick in the uh, in the Western Hockey League banner. Oh, he'll be there. Okay, like well, I'll wait and see. I'll wait and see, but. 
I think that when you look at that group and, and, and you start to go through time, it, it, it's a pretty select group to get into. And you know what? I don't think uh, I, I, I don't think there'll be anybody joining that group in the, in the near future. Well, I agree with you. It gets tossed around too easily, and that that list is a very small list. And I think you're probably right. Now, you mentioned in your article there are more people questioning him these days. As this happens every time, you have someone who's like that. And one of the questions is when you look at the history of the other generational talents, your McDavid's, your Crosby's, even die to Lemieux, they had team success in Major Junior. And the Pats have not been a deep team since Bedard's been there. But does but their lack of team success cause any kind of red flag when labeling him a generational talent in your mind? No, I, I think there's a couple of things that come into play there. Number one, you know, uh, there was a pandemic. I mean, he only, he only started to play in his first year in the Western Hockey League in the, in the bubble, right, in the, in the spring of uh, 21. But, you know, you talk about team success, he, he was great at the U18 in, in April of 21. You know, he 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 comes back last year. You know, he starts off the World Junior Tournament. He, he's fantastic. I mean, I watched him at the U18 on a team that wasn't that wasn't very good, and 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 yet there he was in the middle of, in the thick of everything, in the middle of everything. You know, very close to finding a way to get his team in, into the semifinals, and then he goes to the World Junior in the summer, and he 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 wins gold there. Now he comes back here in the dominant player. He wins gold. So I think there are some mitigating circumstances with 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 with, with Regina and and the pandemic and something that all teams and all players have to go through. But when you take the body of work and you look at everything that he's done and where he's had, I, I think the success he's had. I can tell you this: Connor McDavid never won a World Junior Gold Medal at uh, at uh, at this age, you know. Uh, well, he did. He did win it at 15, and Crosby did, but they weren't the dominant players. And, you know, yes, players go to the uh, – and, and have success, you know, going into their draft year, but I think all in all, you know, when you look at Connor Bedard, I, I, there, there's no questions on my end about the Regina Pats having not won because I think that if I have Connor Bedard on my team, I, I like my chances to win. Well, and that was it. And that was a really interesting tournament for Bedard. I mean, you know, he's putting up numbers we'd never seen before. He's, you know, breaking uh, Lindros is tweeting at him about breaking his his records, and you know, and, and as a you know a, a proud American fan here, I mean, you know, it's what do they look like if you can contain him? You know, and it really only happened in the one game against against the Czechs, and you know, Canada had the depth to pull it out, even though it was it was a hell of a dogfight. But I think we learned a lot about. You know the 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 rest of Team Canada in the, the one game that they that they held him. You know it was, but it was you know, and, and you can't expect a guy to you know score six points every game, even if he already was. But I mean, I, I just thought that was interesting. You know, juxtaposition as far as the rest of Team Canada. You know, with what they would have looked like without Bedard this year. Yeah, well, I mean, so so, so let's think about what they would have looked like without Bedard. They they might not make it out of the quarterfinal. Because he dominated the quarterfinal game. I think there's a very good chance they didn't. Honestly. <laughs> hey, listen. 
Like, I mean, like, hey, I know what happened in the championship game, in the gold medal game. And, I, hey, listen, Dylan Gunther was terrific, and Shane Wright was really good. Like, I think the thing with Conor Bedard at times is you're trying to limit him. Can you stop him? I, I thought that he was a factor. He played just about every other shift in the overtime, which keeps everybody on their heels. So and I, I will say this. I, I mean, obviously, Canada has a lot of depth, but they don't win if they don't have Conor Bedard in this tournament. Uh, now, can I say that? I mean, that's what I believe. I don't believe they win this tournament if, if Conor Bedard's not available. The other great story of the tournament, I think, was Chechia. And, and wondering from your perspective, because you know, you know the age groups and everything better than I would by a, a large margin, is this a one-off or are we seeing a reemergence of Czech hockey? Well, can I add Slovakia into that group as well? Yeah, for I, sure. I, I think I think it was fantastic this tournament with Czechia and Slovakia. Uh, you know how they performed. Keep in mind, at the end of the preliminary round, Czechia was the number one seed. You know they beat Canada pretty handily in, in in that one game, and you know went into that gold medal game where you know Canada played a really good, strong game, and then all of a sudden it's two two, and you're headed to overtime. Uh, I think you know Russia's out right now. So, so really, when, when you have teams not named Canada, USA, Finland, and Sweden, not Sweden that are now competing, that are now competing with the top group, of, that's great for the tournament. That is great uh, for competition. And so, you, so, so now to get to, the, to, to, to your question, do I think it's a one-off? No, I don't. I think Czechia last year at the U18 tournament, they were in the medal round. <laughs> they were in the medal round. And you know what? The Slovakia. We've seen what's happened with Slovakia hockey. You know, the three first-round draft picks, including the first two, a bronze medal at the Olympics, competitive this year, taking Canada right to the uh, to, to overtime in the quarterfinal. And, you know, they're going to have two more first-round draft picks, at, in my view, this year in the draft, in, in uh, Dalibor Dvorsky and Samuel Hanzik. So, you know, now all of a sudden you start adding up all those players, and, and they got depth. And I know Miro Satan talks about the younger players coming through and that and how good they are and how how well that's how how how, how well that's going to bode for U18 World uh, U20 World Championships and it's the same with Czechia Czechia has a lot of good young players and you know it, so when you start to see it at, at 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 the younger age groups at the when they're competitive at the U18 and then then it follows that they should be competitive at the U20 when they get a year or two older so I think it's great news, and I think it's a sign of things to come, and I think it's great. Peter Breza, who's a vice president uh, of the International Ice Hockey Federation and from uh, Czechia, I, I, I said to him, I said, this is phenomenal. This is phenomenal for international hockey. Two proud hockey countries, Czechia and Slovakia, finding their way up into the upper tier, and I don't think it's accidental. I think we'll see them competing there. Craig, you, you follow the, you know the 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 three leagues and and uh, you know prospects ac across the way. I mean, do you think this, the Voigt kid out of out of the OHL should he have made Team USA? Is you know were the Americans deep enough that you could leave the top scorer an entire major junior league at home? I mean, do you think that makes a difference in uh, that Canada game? Uh, no, I'll tell you what. I think the Canada game came down to one thing: Thomas Millich. I, I think USA wins that game ten five if it's not for Thomas Millich. I don't think Ty Voigt would have made a difference. 
uh, being on that team. He, he here's the challenge with with you're trying to build a team, and you look at the you look at top scores, and the U.S. has lots of depth. But was he going to play on one of the top two lines? Was he going to be in an offensive role? I don't think so. So now, what are you looking at deeper down your lineup? Are you looking, you, you, you know, for that type of player to play deeper in your lineup? I mean, international play uh, challenges you in a lot of different ways. You, you need a team that can handle those different challenges. So, you know, it's a, it's a good thing when you have depth and quality of talent in your program because these are the types of conversations and the type of discussions that take place. You know, was he, should he be been there? Oh, my God, I can't believe they, they, they didn't pick him. It happens every year, right? I hear it, you know, when teams win and they go, oh, well, geez, you know, I can't believe they, they, they that guy should have been there. I said, you know, they won. It's not like they made the wrong selections. But this is a good thing when you have that depth of, uh, of talent. But I, I don't, I, I think when you're building out a team and you look at that, at, at that game against Canada and that, you know, I, I thought that was a real test for Canada. And I, I never thought that that tournament, would serve up a game where Canada's goaltending had to be so dominant, which also speaks to how good some of the other teams were and to potentially, you know, that, that Canada needed to be bailed out by, by a goaltending performance. And I think that was the case in the, in the semifinal versus the U.S. And certainly uh, when you, again, Canada has good players that were left behind too. And, you know, when, when you have that depth throughout your system, uh, I think everybody will take depth rather than trying to reach for players. By the way, we were talking about players getting sent back. I just saw, I don't know if you saw yet, Chad, you're the big Portland fan. Ozzy Weisblatt's rights just got traded to Portland from Prince Albert. So right. potentially filling that 20-year-old slot. Yeah, I, I, I did see that. It was uh, well over an hour and a half You know, after the end of the deadline it came out. I was trying to keep an eye on that in the early part of this conversation, trying to figure out how to work, how to work Ozzy Weisblatt into, uh, you know, talk about the AHL and guys that have that have that have struggled to uh, to, to to fit into a role there. I mean, is that is that a, a player you're familiar with? How how the season's been going for him, Craig? Well, I think it, like a player that you're very familiar with, Noah Gregor. Noah Gregor, you know, was a draft pick of the San Jose Sharks. He went back for for his 20 year. Uh, season, he wasn't good enough to play in the American League, and it, it hasn't hurt Noah Gregor going back and being a good player and developing parts of your game. I think was was something that's really, really uh, been a positive, and it's been a positive for the San Jose Sharks. Do I think that the same thing could happen for Ozzy? Yeah, yes, I do. What ends up happening, and you know, we uh, Ozzy ends up being a first round draft pick. And so, oh my God! Like, oh, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with Ozzy? It's a little bit different with Noah, who wasn't a high draft pick. But you go with, oh, he's a first round draft pick. Like, oh, geez, like, what's wrong with him? Maybe nothing. Maybe he's just not ready. Maybe he's just at a point right now where you're looking at uh, at a player that just needs a little more seasoning. And you know, going back to junior, and, and certainly Mike Johnston and the Portland Winterhawks run a great program. I don't think there's any player that won't benefit by going and playing under Mike Johnston or playing in a good program with a, with a chance to compete for a championship like the Portland Winterhawks. So, you know, I think you got to get past that one narrative and just kind of focus in and, and and just focus in and say, hey, this is part of the development. He's not quite ready, and we're gonna we're we're gonna keep him in a spot. San Jose Sharks are confident, and they have some history of doing exactly that. 
I know we're running out of time with you here, Craig. I just wanted to ask you to, to close. Do you feel like Kamloops has done enough to be in the mix hosting the Memorial Cup this year? No, I don't. Uh, I, 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 like, you know, you look at what Seattle, like, and, and keep in mind, <laughs> keep in mind that, uh, that Russ Farwell, you, you know, and the group in, in Seattle have, have, have made some moves long before the trade deadline. You know, and, and, and adding players that, that, that bolstered the blue line. Obviously, you know, getting a Brad Lambert to come in there that, you know, with the speed and, you know, the excitement that he'll bring in there. I, I think they're a really good team. I mean, you look at the goaltending. I mean, I mean, we talked about Thomas Millich. I mean, Scott Ratzliff is, is a top-notch goaltender. And, you know, you look at the blue line. And, I mean, I, I, again, it's just it, it, it's such a, it's such a strong blue line. And then up front, I mean, they can, I think they got everything you need. And I think that that's where I look at Portland and I see where Portland's trying to do. Kamloops is in the Memorial Cup. We, we know that. I, I think the race is between, if, I, if you're asking me what the race is between, it's Winnipeg, Portland, and Seattle trying to win the Western Hockey League Championship to join Kamloops. That's what I, if you put my feet to the fire, that's what I see the race as. But you don't feel like, I mean, obviously it's a short tournament, so anything can happen. But compared to what teams will be there as the champions, you don't feel Kamloops is quite at that level? I don't. But that doesn't mean that they're, I, I, I think they're a good team. I, I do. I think they're a good team. They got some They got some good players. I mean, you know, any team that has Logan Stankoven on it, you know, the guy is wired to win. You add Olin Zelliger, I mean, that's a, that's a significant move. And you, 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 they're good. They're they're good, and and I think that that's a positive for Kamloops hosting the tournament. And you know, can they be competitive at the moment? No question, they can be competitive at the Memorial Cup. But the the problem they may run into is they may have a, a, a round or two where where they're not playing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they uh, I don't know what more assets they could have spent I mean if you look at what they gave up for for Zellweger I mean that's you know we talked about what a Bedard trade would look like and I think a lot of us felt it was kind of in that range yeah no I, I mean I, I'm not suggesting they should have given up anymore I'm just I just look at you know the the way that Seattle is built and you know when you when when, when, when and they went to the Western Hockey League final last year with, with, with a younger group and so that's going to serve them very well, you know, going forward. And uh, do I – hey, St. John got knocked out of the first round of the playoffs. They were a good team last year. Did I think they were a championship-caliber team uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Quebec League? No. But did I think they could compete in the Memorial Cup? Absolutely. I feel the same way about Kamloops. I'm not suggesting Kamloops is just a host that can't compete in the Memorial Cup. I just don't see them in the same class right now as Winnipeg, uh, Seattle, or, or Portland. Now, you know what? They can prove me wrong, but it's still a very good team. Yeah, you meant we haven't talked about Winnipeg much until right there, but that's another team that definitely uh, emptied all of the cupboards. I mean, they <laughs> they spent every asset they could possibly possibly find. It'll be interesting to see what what uh you know what they do here you know after the season. Well, I mean, you, you guys know, first-round draft picks, I mean, all the draft picks that got traded and, and everything that goes, it's going to be some long years. It's going to be some long years. I mean, look what happened to Saskatoon when they tried to, 
you know, blow out the doors, you know, and getting Braden Shen, you know, from Brandon. And, you know, Swift Current did the same thing. I, did, yeah, I was going to say, teams, we know all about it here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen teams do it for years and years and years, and it's not going to be any different. And there'll be one Memorial Cup champion, and there'll be one Western Hockey League champion. It might be, it might be one and the same, and I have no like I have no issues with te- with teams going for it and everything, and but but I also respect the fact that you know Dennis Williams and Everett said hey we're not at that level so you know what loves Olin Zelliger but we're going to move him along and we're going to start building for the future the Vancouver Giants you know they don't get fabulously sell back so you know they sit down and say hey we're we're, we're not going to kid ourselves but if you're Seattle and you're Kamloops and you're Winnipeg and you're Portland. I get it. You're pushing for it, but make no mistake about it. It's going to come with a hell of a lot of, uh, you know, a hell of a lot of losses in the years to come because you just don't have the players to come in and 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 help you win. You know, you're going to have to go through that little phase too. I know we're out of time, but boy, it makes me wonder if the Western League should consider following Ontario's footsteps and uh, and stopping the trade of first round picks just so they don't run into those long-term losing seasons for the teams because it gets ugly. And you're right. It, it, it does get ugly. And, you know, and, 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 and hey, listen, Ontario has their own problems because they're, they're trading second-round draft picks that uh, in, in draft years where the kids that, that are going to be in that draft are 11 years old. <laughs> So you know, <laughs> you know, I I I know they've tried to uh, you know cut against that to try to mitigate against that because you know you're sitting there and you go, okay, we'll trade you a 2028 20, uh, second round pick. Wow, 2028? 20, that's five years away. That's six drafts. You know, that's 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 something that you know you, you, there's no real significant consequence. I don't know if you guys recall a couple of years back. Uh, Guelph, Guelph tra- traded all kinds of picks to go for it, and then the next year uh, they traded all their top players, uh, you know, to other teams and, and recouped it all. So maybe that's the way to do it: is is try to find a way to to get both sides of the deal. You know, Guelph was able to go deep and 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 and, and get somewhere, and then recoup it the next year. But if you don't have the players, and and that might be the case with Seattle next year. You know, maybe next year if Korchinski's not in the NHL and Gustafson's not in the NHL, you know, and 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 Sashin isn't in the NHL, maybe you just go, okay, we're at the deadline, we're trading those guys and getting picks back. Maybe that's the way to mitigate against it. Yeah, that was that was something I was wanted to ask you about too. Like, you know, I know we are running along, but you know, the when you uh, when you were with Dallas and you were scouting. Uh, Aginla, and then here next year you're going to be scouting the next generation of Aginla. I mean, that's uh, that's got to make a guy feel a little old, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it makes me feel old, but you know, it's uh, you know we see uh, we see these uh, lineages in hockey all the time. I, you know, what it does, it brings me back in time. You know, to to think about. Uh, you know, watching Jerome and you know the the progression he made, and obviously becoming a, a great player and a, and a Hall of Famer. But you know, to watch Teej now, and you know, and hey, let's not forget about Jade, who's who, who's who's going to be a mainstay on the Canadian national women's team, and be participating in the Olympics just like her father did. And you know, 
Uh, you look at Canada in the Olympics, and you, you know she might uh, very well may have a gold medal to match up against her dad. But it's it's kind of fun and neat to uh, watch the next generation and uh, see what they do. But to be honest with you, uh, it's good memories. And you know what? Watching the young players and staying in touch with them keeps me young. I was gonna say I I got to call Joey Ginless scoring a hat trick at the uh, the Crown Classic in Calgary in the fall, and and he looks like a a real stud too. So yeah, I really appreciate your time today, Craig. It's always awesome. We could go on a long time with you, but I, I, I really appreciate you giving us time with your insight today. Yeah, no, you guys do a great job following and keeping uh, the fans of the WHL informed and your passions are great. So uh, when you ask me if I can be part of something, you can always count on me saying yes. I'm always happy to be part of it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate it. We don't we don't get NHL GMs or your head scouts for TSN on on every day. It's uh, it's always it's always uh, fun fun uh, to have a guy like you on the show, Greg. Well, thank you.